Welcome to the Live with Jay podcast, where we explore business, health, and ways to live your best life. Your host, Dr. Jason Fan, is the founder of Live Natural Health, located in downtown San Diego in the heart of Little Italy. This podcast is brought to you by Dinotropin, shown to improve sleep, lean muscle mass, weight loss, recovery, mood, and brain function. Nutrafol, start and keep growing stronger, fuller, healthier hair. Herb and Wood, located in Little Italy on the corner of Kettner and Ivy, a sprawling upscale locale serving rustic wood-fired dishes and old-school cocktails. F45, a gym that focuses on whole-body workouts with an emphasis on weight-bearing exercise and functional movements. Check out their new location in East Hillcrest for an optimum exercise experience. And now, welcome to the Live with Jay podcast. We're here with Duran Levitan, and he's here today to talk about how he's created seven businesses, how he moved into the world of meditation, and how that has affected his business. So welcome to the show. Hello. So I think just tell us you know, a little bit about yourself and what you're kind of up to right now. A little bit about myself. Well, I was born in Israel. I um, studied art in my earlier, earlier days. Came to, I, in my army service, uh, I'd been through a war in 82 in uh, Lebanon, got injured in the war and had some time to reflect about what I wanted to do and decided to um, leave that area for a little bit. Came to the U.S. to uh, visit family and they convinced me to stay and study here. So I got myself a student visa and I studied uh, cinema in Los Angeles. Cinema, huh? Yeah, that was kind of my uh, my direction, yeah. yeah. Art, uh, photography, cinema. But I was working as a parking attendant to support my uh, school, and at one point I realized that um, it's going to be very hard to make money at this, and it was very hard to survive on, um, uh, you know, doing all these odd jobs, and that I may have to compromise a lot in the art to um, really do what I wanted to do, to make money as well and survive. So I said, let me just go for business. I was working for the parking company and I was doing really well. I was moving fairly quickly up the ladder. So I left school. It wasn't an easy decision because I came up, I came from a family that pushed me to, to go to school. But uh, my uncle was a really successful businessman and he said, listen, not everybody's made for school. You maybe not. So try something else for a couple of years. Uh, which was a good support for someone that actually is, uh, you know, is in the medical field, and he saw something in me. So I started a small parking company. I borrowed money from him, hmm. and uh, what do you think he saw in you? I think he saw that I'm very dedicated, that I have great people skills. I had that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. The school may kind of put out that fire. And he, he, he wanted to encourage that fire. He was a big believer. He is a big believer in people starting their own businesses and being entrepreneurial and not working for someone else as a, and the end goal. So he encouraged me to go and give it a shot. Uh, I said, will you, will you lend me the money to start a company? He said, yeah, I'll lend you the money. Um, and I put together a company. I mean, I was 24 years old. Wow. Um, you know, 
Not the greatest English. Seven years here, right? Uh, 17, 24? No, no, I came at 22. Wow. At 17, I came to visit. I went back to do this army service. And a year after the army service, I served, served the money and came. So I only, it was only for a couple of years. Uh, worked for a parking company as a as a operation manager, then vice president of operation. And I decided that, you know, I, I'm ready to go. You know, I was definitely very ambitious, more ambitious than uh, maybe uh, talented, but uh, I went for it. Started a company, I had about 80 employees. I was doing valet parking for parties and for uh, restaurants and clubs. Um, I had a small little office in, on Venice Boulevard. Learned a lot about business. What was the biggest thing you learned? Um, I learned to be very attentive to details and not think that you're the big guy right away and that other people um, do your dirty work, but really be involved in every level of it until you s for sure know that it's done well. Uh, but then delegate when, it's re when you're ready to delegate and not kill yourself. But mostly, know where you are. You know, I, I think when I started the business, I thought I was already as good or as I couldn't charge as much as the last company I left. And I, nobody knew me. And yeah. I needed to be a little more humble. And I know that now if I done it again, I would probably charge this, this, and just get, get, the work, get more work in my name out there. I was a little stubborn and sticking to my prices. And I'm, good, I'm as good as everybody else. Why should I charge less? So that kind of slowed down my growth. You know, but I, I also learned that you need to know your financials well. And uh, although I was really not attracted to accounting at all, my operation is kind of my strong suit. You need to know every level of the business. Even if you don't like it, you need to know enough about it yep. so you can converse and dive into it with the people that do know about it and get people that are really good at what you don't know. For sure. Um, so, yeah, that's the f chapter one until some cute kid named Sean was born. <laughs> and we decided to, um, to go back to Europe to see if we can live in Europe when his mom is from Europe, my wife. So we tried Europe for a year, Israel for a couple of years, and ended up back in the Bay Area, and I went back into the parking business right away. And then I had uh, kids to feed and a wife, and uh, you know that was a different story. Right? I had to like really get going. So I worked a year for a parking company. It was a disaster. I was an employee. I was not... It's very hard for me. not be. your fit. No. I, I just have a really hard time with people telling me what to do when I think I know better than them. It's a, it's a thing with me. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah, you got to know who, who you, you are. are. Yeah. Going back to, you know, you had Sean, you went to Europe. Mm -hmm. What did you do out in Europe for business? I did not do anything in Europe in business. business. I studied Danish. I promised my wife that if we, I said, you know, we're probably going to move to Israel and I'm gonna, I want to live there. And she said, well, if we're going to do it, you got to give me one year in Denmark. So you know the language, you know the country, you know the traditions. I thought it was a fair trade. And I was curious about living in Europe. Uh, so we lived in Denmark for a year. I studied Danish. I suffered from the, the cold weather in the winter. <laughs> and then came the summer. It was raining every day. So that was not fun. Um, but I, I, but I learned a lot about. I, I today I feel like it was a very, it was important to her. I think I understand her, know her much better, and know who she is, and understand her culture, where she came from, 
and also know something else. But you know, everywhere you live, you take something from it. And Denmark is a wonderful place. It's a, maybe, from a social point of view, the perfect place to live. This is a country that has social system. You don't have to worry about medic, uh, your uh, health or medical bills. Education or retirement, which is uh, the biggest stresses of the, you know, American life, for example. That's out of the equation. It's taken care of. Mm-hmm. And people just have time to really relax and be with their families. And they close the business at 5, they go home. You don't find a business open in Denmark at 5 or 5. Wow. I guarantee you that. Wow. They go home at 5 o'clock. We have funny stories about that. We were in the store once and wanted to buy, uh, I wanted to buy a $400 pair of shoes from this room. And I was like, yeah, that's a lot of money. So I was like, yeah, it's really beautiful, but I don't know. And it was five minutes to close. And she said, well, make a decision. I'm closing at 5. <laughs> and I was like, What? In the U.S., they're going to wait half an hour for me for this kind of sales. She goes, I want to have dinner with my family in five minutes. If you're not done, come back tomorrow. Yeah. I was shocked. Then I came out. I told my wife, I can't believe it. She threw me out of the store. I was about to buy a $400 pair of shoes. She goes, yes, for us, it's more important to have dinner with my family at five than for another you know, merchandise, piece of merchandise to be sold. And it's, it's a game changer, right? This is not how we... It's perspective. How we think about over here. So, you know, I, nowadays I can really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was deep into business, I thought they were crazy, but now I think that we're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was the European side of it. I had a business in Israel, an event planning business in Israel. I was putting together uh, weddings. Weddings in Israel, a big production. Hmm. Yeah. An average wedding in Israel is 350 people. Some of them are 500, 600 people. People spend $100,000. No one problem. Night, no problem. Wow. It's the biggest event of the of their life, and they spend enormous amount of money. And because of that, there's a lot of service providers. So it's like a sea of you don't know where to start or where to finish. So I had a center where you can kind of decide what you wanted. And, uh, Did you do some, some like some videos and photos for them and all that stuff too? Not myself. I actually referred them to others. But um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to get into the commercial side of the. I looked at that as more of a creative art than work. I didn't want to, to shoot weddings, and I love the creativity of the of the side of the of, of the videos. And, yeah, stuff, yeah, I didn't like so much the. Uh, it's again maybe my problem of people telling me what to do. You shoot me this way and that way, and my fat and that. I'm just not into that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, that was a, you know. Came here, studied, went back and forth, mm-hmm. went, served um, in the army, came back, started some some business out here with you know parking structures, parking lots, valet mm-hmm. services, mm-hmm. and then had good old Sean and got cultured within you know the Danish culture. Went mm-hmm. back to your own culture in mm-hmm. Israel, and then what happened? So then we came back to the Bay Area worked for a company I had a kind of a hard time being an employee so I decided maybe I want to try something else that was actually a really important moment in my life I I knew parking really well but I didn't stick to it all the way I kind of I never actually made money I just knew it as a operational I, I made a living out of it but not didn't make a big career out of it so I'm like let me go to the next thing so I got into the restaurant business I tried to get into fast food Try to get trained with the Taco Bell to be their operational manager there. And realize I'm have to climb this ladder again. Restaurant business is very tough. 
I remember I found myself one day in the parking lot of Taco Bell in my car looking at the rearview mirror. I said, what happened to you? <laughs> you're walking in Taco Bell, you're so talented, you're so much better than this, and I'm almost 30, and I have a son. I think that my wife was wanted to start talking about let's have another one. I was just not happy with myself. So I had a deep thinking. I was thinking, okay, what are you good at? Parking. It's hard for me to admit that this is kind of where life took me, but why don't you become, I told myself, why don't you become the best parking guy you can become? The best you can be. Go in there thinking, I want to be the best parking guy in the business. Mm -hmm. And see what happens. Give it the best shot you can. Because playing around is not going to go. It's a focus like a laser beam on one thing. Yeah. So I got myself a job in a national company um, second biggest parking company in the country. Got trained really well, asked a lot of questions. They started appreciating me, moved me around, and at one point they gave me the entire uh, city of San Francisco and the Bay Area management, and I was kind of the city manager of the whole operation. And I got to know all the movers and shakers. I learned from the best, they're a very good company. I learned their, like the best systems possible in the business, and I was trying to be the best I could there. I made really good money and they gave me a great commission and I actually thought, you know, that is kind of an entrepreneurial spot. I'm safe here and I'm getting a piece of the action. Hmm. And then it got sold. <laughs> I realized that they're, uh, they're, they're sold to the number one company in the business and yep. I'm probably going to lose my job. And uh, I ran into a, a, a guy that came out of the American Air Force that was trying to get in the parking business. And we joined, ventured, and started a parking company ourselves. We had probably 25 cents between us. I mean, we had literally no money. Pennies. Pennies. <laughs> and, um, but we had a couple of contracts, and we one thing led to another. We were very lucky. Uh, it was right about before the dot-com took off, mm -hmm. and there was a huge bid for a large garage in San Francisco not a lot of companies paid attention to. If I tell you the rent, you're going to not believe me, but I wrote down on the bid $162,000 a month in rent. Whew. Between him and I, we could probably get together $25,000 to Whew. pay for it. $162,000 a month. So what is it, like a one point, one point it's almost four, two, $2 million dollars yeah. a year? And we won. And I remember that I kind of had a little heart attack because <laughs> when I calculated it, it was a thousand cars, you know, everything made sense. I knew the market, I knew the rates, I knew the area. I knew everything that I needed to know about this garage. So I wrote the number. Not thinking I'm going to get it, but I was the number. I remember I told my partner, we were joking, like, oh shit, what if we get it? <laughs> and then we got it. And I had to like sit, down, sit with myself. I remember talking to the same uncle, and I told him the whole story, and he said, so it's just zeros, right? Because if it was $16,000, you wouldn't make a big deal out of it, but it's $160,000, what's the difference? Think about it. I said, there really is no difference. So he goes to go get the money and do it, and he was right. So we borrowed and begged, and we scrounged the first rent, and that garage was making a little less than half a million dollars a month in gross receipts. Whew. 
about $450,000 a month in gross receipts after two or three months of stabilization. You know, we took us time to stabilize it, but that propelled us into success. We took all the uh, profit from there and invested in more garages and got after all kind of beads and just basically used, used that money to, to grow. It was a short two years lease, but we, that lease kind of took us to the next level. And, and I learned something really important. You really have to take risks in business, but they have to be calculated risks. If you have enough information, that's a good risk to take, right? Mm -hmm. Some people say, you know, let me open a restaurant. They have no clue because I love cooking. That's not knowing business. That's not knowing anything. Yeah, not knowing your market, not knowing, right. you know, the market rent, exactly. all that. Exactly. I knew everything I needed to know. I was just afraid of the size yeah. of the macro. But, you know, my uncle kind of put it in perspective for me. He said, you know, what's the difference between 16 and 160? I said, well, actually, there's no difference. I, it's the same thing. I just me being afraid of that number. Yeah, it's just there's more risk on a financial level. But yeah, what there's a lot of people that fear set, right? It's just like. But if you want to grow, you have to take risks. If you really want to move to the next level, you have to take a risk. And the question is, what kind of risk are you willing to take? And I knew that, okay, th yeah, that could take me down. But it wasn't because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I knew everything. You know, the market can change. It can shut down the street. Yeah, things can happen. But in hindsight, I moved into it. was a neighborhood that had already had garages. I knew everything I needed to know about it. It had all the right ingredients for success, just a big number. So yeah. that was a risk I was willing to take. I learned something big from that. And that kind of took me to, uh, took us all to the next level. We end up having over 30 garages in San Francisco. We made some deals with the city and the port, and we ran a lot of stuff on Embarcadero, and uh, kind of became a player. Two young guys, really the youngest probably in the business, became very successful. And I also, around those days, I brought an older guy that was in the 70s, that was my mentor in my previous parking company, to come and work for us part-time and have some adult supervision. <laughs> So, you know, when big things happen, we can come and talk to him. I, I believe, I tell you what we're a big believer about businesses is that it's like a tribe. Hmm. You have to respect the elders. You have to encourage the young people. But you in the middle, you gotta, you gotta make it all happen. But it's about everyone. Yep. So you bring the knowledge. He's got, the guy was a wealth of knowledge. We had young guys, you know, mostly immigrants from from Salvador, from Ethiopia, they were our employees. And we were like in the middle of it, running everything. But I used the energy of these guys and the knowledge of the older guy, and I was kind of in the middle of it. And it was kind of like a big family, right? The tribe is thriving where everybody's got, a, they got their piece. Yeah. Everybody's, Everyone's got their role. Everyone got their... Everybody's, everybody's participating, right? I mean, I feel like in this society nowadays, people get to 50 plus, they get kicked out of the, uh, out of, basically out of the line of work. You look at the high tech, 50 is absolute. Everybody, you know, it's all about the young guys that come in the door. And you lose something very precious. You lose a lot of experience. You lose a lot of, you know, people that sow ups and downs and market changes, they have a lot of experience. And you can really benefit from, from having them as, as your advisor and they're calmer and they're less, uh, agitated and they kind of have seen a lot of things in their life and they, they bring a lot of calmness to the system. Mm -hmm. So that guy was, you know, when things happen, he said, yeah, it happened to us three times. You know, city comes, they do this, relax, it's going to be okay. You know, it was great to have that experience and the knowledge and, you know, he was really like... The wisdom very, Yeah, there was a lot of wisdom there. 
On the other hand, you know, uh, when you get a little older, 40, 50, you can't do this crazy running around things. So you bring young guys in the door, and they, have the, they don't really have a lot of wisdom, but they have a lot of energy. So you have to honor them for their energy. And you sit in the middle and try to manage the whole thing, you know, uh, being you know, 40 years old or so. You're kind of like the center of the whole thing, and you have to include everyone in, the, in that tribal thing that happens around you. Yeah. And I think that's actually how, how companies, um, successful companies are doing it. They have all these people involved. It's like everybody have a, a, a bring a piece of into, the, into the, this thing you're cooking, right? Everybody's bringing their, their ingredient. And you don't just have a company of 35 years old only, and there's no knowledge there. They're slowly going to run out of energy. It's nice to kind of like create this whole thing of like, you have it all. Yeah, you have a whole tribe, the, from the young to the old. I know. feel that it's a big deal, yeah. And I'm still doing it in that way, you know, bringing new guys in, and, you know, I'm the one getting older now. So. <laughs> um, but it's really like, what do you represent? And also, you know, you and I talked earlier about when you are in that, in that role, is how do you treat everyone? You know, what is really your... What do you bring into the table? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there's people that are ruled by fear and people that are ruled by respect and everybody's afraid of their boss because they can fire them but that's not a way to run a business people should really feel like they want to be there and I believe that people want to belong to something bigger that, than that, themselves bigger themselves that make a difference in the world they feel like they're doing something good in the world and that they take a part of it and they do it with people that they appreciate and they are being appreciated Mm-hmm. Which is that's how healthy families and healthy tribes operate. You know, everybody is seen, everybody is appreciated, everybody brings something to the table, and um, I believe that this is how I was able to to create this kind of a family feeling in my uh, the same tribal thing I was talking about, and people feel like they they belong there. I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that people don't leave my business. I, people work for me for 15, 20 years, and I'm not paying the best salaries. I can't. I mean, uh, we're a small business, but they get more than just money. Yeah. There's, there's they, if somebody's uh, mother is sick in Mexico, they can take two, three weeks, and they know it, and we sometimes pay for their ticket, and we care for them, and it, it, it goes a long way. You know, it's not just about uh, the money. I have a famous, famous story about a guy named Carlos that worked for me. He's kind of this up-and-coming uh, great employee. Started, he hardly spoke English when he first came, and he was speaking up the language, and it was really great. Just a good parking guy. It was, he always made most money, the, the most money. His parking lots were always the, you know what I'm talking about. The parking lots were always the greatest. Uh, he put the most cars in there, the numbers. He, if he was sick one day, a lot was down 20%. So <laughs> he was just a great guy, so we, we slowly made him into a supervisor. And then we started hearing rumors that things are not okay with him, that he's, he's not... He's not doing well, and his manager, the GM, came to me one day and said, you know, I think he's on drugs. Hmm. Now, this is a driving job. Drugs don't mix. So in the past, someone on drugs would be out. You, know, I mean, you, do, you do a drug test, and, and yeah. it's all, game over. So the GM said to me, yeah, you know, um, I want to fire him, but, but lately you're changing, you're meditating, you're doing all this stuff. Maybe you want to see him. I said, yeah, I want to see him. <laughs> so you brought him over, and I said, Carlos, you know, we heard that you're, um, something's going on. Are you willing to tell us what's going on? Uh, it took him a little bit. I said, we know you're using drugs. 
is it true? People told us they saw you. He said, yeah, it is. And he was crying. He was telling me that he left his family in Mexico. He's got some difficulties. And, you know, his life was really difficult. And some, somebody he knew offered him methamphetamine. And he got onto it. And he, doesn't, he can't get off of it. I said, listen, I'm going to do this for you. Um, I'm going to give you two months off with pay. I'm going to call our medical uh, our health insurance and see if they have something. And they did. They had a kind of rehab program. And I'm going to get you uh, on a program with, the, he was speaking Spanish, and I'll get you on uh, Narcotic Anonymous NA uh, 12 Steps, and you, you promised me you do those two things, and hopefully you'll be okay. And I thought that was the most I could do. I, I gave him the information, connected with him to our health insurance. He went about his business. It was, you know, and one thing leads to another. Life gets busy. I forgot about it a little bit. You know, we kept, kept going. And I walked back into my office one day, and everybody, oh, you know, Carlos was here. He left you something. So I went to the office, my office, and he left me the certificate of completion of the, uh, NA. Of, of the NA. And uh, he wrote me a note that I'm ready to come back. So I brought him back. I talked to him. He was very thankful. He said it was completely clear. And he put me back to work, which felt really great. You know, it's, I did something different, and he worked out. and. And that was just a piece of the gift here, is that Carlos is better, which made me feel really great. And this GM, you know, we kind of saved the great guy. But then the real gift was that a lot of people that worked for us for many years start coming to us and saying, wow, what you did for Carlos is unbelievable. When no one does that. We were sure you're going to let him go. Everybody knew that apparently he had a problem. They were sure that he was on his way out. It feels so good to work here. You don't just, it's not just about the money with you guys. We feel like it's a family. Because it really sent this kind of a message that this, this is not just a business. This is a, it's beyond just business. We really care for people and make people, people feel better about where they are. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it, 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 it happened to a, a comrade, right? But it's, it's, you feel good about it. You feel good about where you, where you are. I mean, it wasn't the, the bigger uh, decision. It was just about Carlos. But, you know, I kind of felt like, wow, he's sending a great message. And it changed things in the company. People really felt they belonged. Changed the culture, yeah. Changed the yes. you know out, outlook on what the business actually means or was meant yeah. to be. Or like how we operate, like who we who we are. And it was actually sad. I sold this business a few years ago, and um, you know I made sure all my guys got hired and got good salaries and got good health insurance. I told. The people that bought it, the company, it was a huge company, a national company. I said, you know, I'm not selling it if I'm not sure that all my guys are taken care of. You know, they mean a lot to me. And I went around and told everybody what's going on. And they were pretty sad. And I thought it was sad about, you know, just changing. And they, they said, no, we're sad about losing you, losing the whole, we hope it's going to be the same. And deep down, I was concerned it's not going to be the same. You know, huge corporation. And I met them a couple of years, you know, I, over the years, I went to see them. And they were very disappointed that, you know, they're just a number. Mm -hmm. You know, you do right, you don't do the right turn, you're gone. It was sad to see that, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, but uh, I could see the power in having a small business and really not losing the human touch. Yeah. I think we two corporate nowadays, there's thousands of employees, they're all numbers. I don't, don't feel like it's healthy. Mm -hmm. How did you create that culture? You know, like, just like you said, there's just like, what in you made it family? Like a parking business, right? Like they still felt they had a purpose. They still felt like they had a vision to drive for you. Like come to work, this is you know what we're doing and we're taking care of what? It's a great question and I, I, 
It's actually a pretty simple answer, you know. I decided to be the father I would want to have. So when I started having kids, I thought to myself, what father would I love to have? You know, my father was a great guy, did the best he could, but there was a lot of missing things. And I thought to myself, how would I be the father I didn't have to my kids? So I was thinking about what would I would like? I would like an open-minded father that shows his love, that's present, that doesn't judge me, that really listens to me and, you know, in a, in a friendly way, teaches me about life, right? And that's the way I approach fatherhood. And as I was getting into meditation, I was getting into my own self-work about myself, it was more and more obvious to me that this, I just need to be myself and do what I feel was what I would want hmm. in my life for myself. It's very, you know, we can be our own teacher because we, like, we know what we want, right? For sure. So I became the boss I would like to have. You know, if I was an employee, what boss would I, because I was an employee and I had terrible bosses, asshole bosses, mm -hmm. guys that were uh, narcissistic or, or overpowering or they never really cared. And I had some good ones and I, I'm like, you know, how do I want to change the game? What do I want? So I would have liked a boss that cares about me, that knows my name, that gives me a hug in the morning, that asks me how I'm doing, that appreciates what I'm doing for him. I would do anything for a guy like that. Mm -hmm. So I became that guy. So I drove around every morning, at least a couple times a week. You know, in the beginning it was almost every morning, but you know, as I got busy, I made the point to at least once or twice a week, drive around all my locations, stop my car, say hello to the guys, buy them coffee, give them a hug. How's your mom? I know she's sick. Mm -hmm. Tell me. I'm just taking personal interest in them. It's actually quite simple. 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 Simple, simple humanity, simple treatment. It does not, you don't have to go to Harvard to become a good human. We're all good humans. We take on ourselves this kind of a bossy job. We go into the corporate world, so we have to be something. And we have to change to something. This is not how people are. I think that people down in the bottom, in their core, they're good. And they good, got a good heart, and they really, that's what they would want. So I was able to find the authentic piece in me that knew what I would have liked and just able to project it on the other side, right? I realized I mean that to them, and it's just simple. It's funny, because a friend of mine uh, from Israel came to visit me uh, a couple of years ago and drove around with me. And, and for me, it's very natural, you know, I'm just, that's the way I am. Yeah, that's what and you I, do. I just went around and he came back to the office and, you know, we took a coffee and he said to me, I just can't get over it. <laughs> he said, well, because so much people love you, but your employees love you. How come they love you? I said, because I love them. I just, you know, I care for them, so they love me. It's not even a question in my mind. I mean, he goes, he's just, he's just watching you doing it. He said, He's, he's got businesses too because I, I just, you blow my mind. I just, I can't believe that how much love there's in your company. And I said, it's actually really simple. I, I show it, so I get it. And I think this is a very simple thing that we forget. It's corporate America, it's all numbers and graphs and this, and we forget to be humans. Hmm. And, and what humans' basic needs is, is love, family, connection. You can bring it, it doesn't matter what business you're in. Yeah. You can be in whatever business. It's all about people. At the end of the day, it's people, right? Mm -hmm. And when you forget about it, you think it's about the corporation. You know, us human beings are very, we're very smart. We don't like to do terrible things. So we invented the corporation. The corporation can do anything for money. It can, you know, destroy the oceans and destroy the, the land to dig in for oil and contaminate. It's not us. It's a corporation. They do it for corporation. <laughs> you know, they have to do it for money. Yeah. But I'm a good person, but the corporation. Yeah. No, we like we create an entity that can do all this horrible stuff. It's nonsense. It's us. We have control and everything. You know, we, con we we control those corporations, and we can 
you know, if we always go and think about money and profit, you know, we know where the world is going right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're not going to stop quickly and, and really pay attention to one another and be more humans for ourselves and for everybody around, around us, the animals, the, 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 the land, the environment, we're all going to go down the drain together. Maybe it's hard to accept when you look at the corporate world, but then on the basis of it, it's not a very big deal. It's like, you know, just do the right the thing. human with connection. Yes, do the human things. That's, that's correct, yes. I think this is a good transition into, you know, how you got into meditation, because I think you're instilling your personal beliefs and your, just your energetics of who you are. How did that kind of translate into getting more into meditation, and how has that evolved? So... You know, I've done some therapy, therapy work, and I was doing the therapy work. I learned to meditate, and I feel like what meditation does is it quiets a lot of the noise. And the noise, I mean, the corporate, the the the, the stuff you the stuff you see on TV. Everything can get quiet, and you can can sink into you know, as a cliche, it may sound. You sink into your heart. You sink into your authentic self. You learn to understand yourself better and what really is important to you. And I feel like, you know, we are, nowadays, we are surrounded by so much noise. I mean, everywhere you go, there's, there's some sort of advertisement, right? You can't go across the street without seeing 10 different advertisement uh, media trying to tell you what to buy and who to be. And if you don't drive a BMW, you're not going to be a, a hot-looking guy. And if you're not going to Mexico uh, to Cancun, you you're missing out, <laughs> and if you're not putting this cologne, you you're not that great. So it's all this preconditioning that that's happening around us that's trying to send us to spend money and feel better about ourselves in all the wrong ways. And mm-hmm. and when you quiet it down, I feel like when all this noise is the low, you kind of lower the volume when the noise and the noise, which meditation really help you do, you connect to your inner wishes and your heart and your soul, and you pay attention to what's really important. And I'm, what's really important is love, connection, family, you know, nature. Those are really the important things in life. And when you kind of like get that, you realize that getting out of this rat race game that we're playing all the time and just be who you really need to be, be who, who you are. I think meditation really helped me find who I was. What's really the most important thing to you? The most important thing to me nowadays is to live a life of balance, first for myself, which means have enough of five very important things. One is uh, my spiritual uh, practice, which is my meditation. And secondly is the community, which is my friends, my family around me, the environment, which is where I live and how my environment around me looks. And then on the bigger pictures, the, the environment as a whole and the health of my body, you know, how much I sleep and what do I eat and my exercise level. And then the last one is creativity. It's really like, I think when all those things happen, you're able to create new stuff in the world and and be creative, maybe uh, with music or movement or art or whatever your creative outlet is. If you keep those five elements, I think you have a balanced life. So for me, the most important thing is to keep that for myself. And as I grow older, I teach others to, to do that. And it's nice for me to be able to share the wisdom of 55 years uh, 
with other younger people and, and sometimes not only younger people. I have a client that's 65 mm -hmm. <laughs> teaching him. You know, people took the wrong turns at one point. I can understand that. Teach people that, that come to me how to, how to live their life in a more balanced way. I think life is about balance. It's walking, it's walking a tightrope and juggling a bunch of balls in the air. And sometimes you're gonna drop a ball, or you're gonna almost fall, and it's like finding that balance again. And, and checking in with myself every time, well, what is missing? I don't feel that perfect, so what's missing? What's a skill that you can, a tangible skill that you can teach people to balance that life, right? The meditation piece that you're like, you know, quiets the noise. What are some tangible things that people can kind of walk away with that really balances those five aspects that you talked about? So really, first of all, know them. Know, know those five aspects. Um, so, you know, community, body, spirit, creativity, creativity and, and spirituality. And if you're able to do all those things, then you'll be okay. And what people need to do is to stop every once in a while and check if those five elements are really happening in their life. If, we, if you feel like, ah, you know, I'm really stressed, so stop and, and stop and meditate and see what's, what's missing. What? Okay, I haven't been with my friends for like three weeks. I've been, you know, running around maybe on my own in nature or, or doing meditations, but I haven't been around people. Well, so bring community to your life. Or I, you know, I don't feel that great. I didn't eat very well the last, you know, week or two. I kind of let go and had a bunch of red meat and, and carbs and I, you know, so. Listen, those things will happen, but it's the awareness. Bring awareness to your life about how you live and what's missing and bring those pieces together to, to come back to balance. We will fall out of balance, it's gonna happen, but it's coming back to balance, what, that, that, that's, that's what it's about. And I think the more you practice it, the more you're like able to have a day or a week that's more balanced. You know, I, I balance my weeks now. I plug in, it's time in nature, time with friends, um, you know, cooking dinner with the, with, the, with the family. So I have all these components there. Mm -hmm. Connecting all the components that make a whole human experience or a human person. Exactly. It's all about a holistic approach to, to your life. That's kind of like the key. Yeah. With that said, is, would that be like your definition of health? Like what is your definition of health? Health leads into thriving. And thriving is basically being creative, being have joy in the world, able to project love without any inhibitions or problems or barriers. So I feel like if when you when you when you're healthy, all those things just flow out of you, and you you're in this kind of a flow. I think being in this balance that's health. Yeah. I'm gonna end it on one last question. What are three things you're grateful for? <laughs> I'm grateful for. For this present moment, just to be here in this reality, in this time right now with you and able to uh, connect. I'm grateful for the path that took me here. That was not always easy, but uh, taught me a lot. And even the difficulties and the hardship was a teacher. And I'm grateful for the beautiful connections I was able to make in my lifetime so far. First with my family, my, my wife, my kids, 
and friends and grateful that I'm you know able to not just um, enjoy it but also be a support when it's necessary and like a source of uh, of um, help and, and advice and I can share what I know and um, yeah give people a, a helping hand when it's possible I'm very grateful for that ability yeah, I'm grateful for you coming down, taking your time to mentor, teach, share some wisdom. I think some people can take some tangible skills, which I will, how to keep all those five key components of balance. And I think calming the noise and keeping grateful of what you learned through the process. You put some great points in the beginning of, you know, you're going to have to take some great risk um, to have that great reward. And having the awareness of who you are and what you really want to project into the world, mm -hmm. um, to have your employees love you and work every day for you for that purpose, that vision. I'm grateful for you having Sean and bringing him into <laughs> my world. <laughs> and uh, we'll have some interesting journeys and some, some new memories to make in the future. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining the Live with Jay podcast. For more information about Live Natural Health, visit our website at livenatural.com or stop by our clinic located in Little Italy, San Diego for a complimentary consultation. Remember, the best way to prepare for life is to begin to live.